Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Adam has just texted in Hills that there's an early hole in one at Phoenix. There may be an empty grandstand by the afternoon because the warnings won't stop the beer showers. And uh, just uh, FYI. 700,000 last time they took official figures. I think that was pre-COVID. That's over the five days. So Pro-Am Day and the four days of the tournament. Uh, And that would interest our next guest because uh, he was heavily involved in golf. He and I have strode the the fairways for many and many a year. Tony Cochran, a very good morning to you. Learned scholars of Brisbane, how are we? Yeah, we're, very we're very well. well. Gee, that would have been a couple of big struts, you two, <laughs> you know, striding down the fairways. Oh, oh, oh. He, he used to piggyback me, he'll say. He hasn't told the true story. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, reading the, the press release from the Suns yesterday, it just sounds like you're a little torn over this decision to step down as chair of the board of the Suns. Ah, oh, how can you not be? Um Ah, oh, you both know me. So, you know, I'm a really passionate individual and I love the club. I love everything about it. I love everything about AFL. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty hard decision. But, you know, uh, you, I'm a great believer. Two or three values really um, set this in trade for me. Number one is I only do things if I do them 120%. And I really felt after nearly nine years, the last six months, I was starting to come off the boil a bit. Um, so that was a point. The second point was... Uh, and this is just me, everybody's different, but I believe if you're on an honorary board, about eight to 10 years is kind of the, the right sort of time frame. I think it's good for renewal to, to change it around. And finally, if you're going to hand over something in this manner, make sure you hand it over when it's got, it's terrifically stable. And, you know, believe it or not, the Gold Coast Suns are in a really stable position. We're really, you know, getting strong financially. We're, we're, got a very very talented and deep playing group now we certainly will be um, uh, in the bout in finals over the course of the next three to five years um, and we've got a very very good um, uh, football department and, and, and tremendous leadership right across the, the club so um, footy clubs well all clubs it's, it's really important to be stable and um, I think the best time to be doing these changes is when you're in that stable position. And, uh, Tony, that, that is an extremely good explanation of, of what you felt. Um, you were driven in the early days, and, and it mightn't be such a driver now, by the, the old comment you keep hearing, how long will the Suns last? Yeah, I really well, it, It's sort of a bit of a shock, because when I got the gig, um, uh, and the AFL asked me, would I step in um, join, join the board of the Suns. You know, I love the Gold Coast madly, so um, I love AFL, so I thought that was fair enough, mm. my chance to give back a bit. And um, I, I was just completely blown away by particularly the Melbourne media and their ferocious attack that, you know, the Suns won't last, we're going to be history, that this is a waste of money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I guess I'm one of those blokes and uh, I pad up and put the helmet on and yeah. you better bowl them fast at me because I'll give you back just as much as you give me. Yeah. Which you have over the years. And look, we know, though, that the coast has been the graveyard for many a sporting team. 
why is it now that both you and the Titans uh, are going well? Well, look, that, that's a that's a pretty complex question. Firstly, yeah. what a lot of people forget, um, um, the Gold Coast is the sixth largest city in Australia. It, it's we're rapidly heading towards seven hundred thousand people. We've got suburbs here that are putting on ten thousand new residents a year. Suburbs, not the whole of the Gold Coast. And by twenty thirty two, the Gold Coast population will be over a million people. So the Gold Coast is becoming quite a substantial city in its own right. So it's got it. What does that mean? It means it gets a lot of depth, not just in people, but in resources, uh, in, in um, infrastructure. And so um, it's, it's, it's been able to get itself to a, a, a body of mass where it can sustain um, a couple of um, national sides. And um, look, I'm not saying it's been easy. It's been damn hard work. But I can certainly, you know, I, I can't speak on behalf of the Times. I, I don't have anything to do with them. But certainly speaking on behalf of the Gold Coast Suns, you know, uh, the AFL investment has been immense. It, it's certainly there for another 15 years if they need it. Uh, I suspect they won't. I suspect in the next eight to 10 years they'll, they'll uh, be standing on their own two feet. But, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in great shape. I mean, we've just announced uh, two or three big new sponsorship deals and they're all long-term deals with blue chip companies. We've got a massive announcement next week on a, uh, uh, a brand new um, uh, multi-year sponsorship deal with an absolute blue chip company. So, you know, we've, we've reached that, that critical mass stage where, you know, um, probably for the last three or four years, we've had a number of players from other clubs seeking out how could they come to us. Yeah. And you almost know, you, you know, you two have been around sport long enough. You know when you get to that phase, you've actually turned that corner. Whatever that corner is, you've actually arrived at that corner and you've got some real chance to build and grow and, you know, our membership base keeps growing. You know, we're now over 20-odd thousand members. Mm. And, and again, the Melbourne media used to beat the hell out of us over that. But as I point out to them, quite cheekily on my behalf, I might add, it took Collingwood 60 years to get 20,000 members. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the oh, last... they'd love that. <laughs> the, um, oh, mate... it went down well. <laughs> <laughs> so all that, you know, you can just see with your 120% attitude and... And the nature of sport and an honorary board, it's so time-consuming. I can understand how you might have been coming off the boil. Yeah, look, and, and Hills, I'm, I'm just not somebody that goes and half-bakes or half-does something. And we've had some really proud moments for Queensland on that journey. You know, I remember going to an AFL President's meeting, and yeah, every sport was affected the same way. I'm not saying we were different. But I remember going in March of the... COVID, start of the COVID year, going to an AFL President's meeting in Melbourne and they're talking about having to shut down for a year and it would cost the game $600 million. And sitting there completely mortified and almost disbelieving. And I remember coming back from that and, and having the concept, um, working with travel um, from AFL um, in Melbourne and going and door knocking one of my great mates, the Mayor of the Gold Coast, Tom Tate, saying, why don't we develop a hub up here? We, we're still operating. The Gold Coast has not shut down. You know, we, we're not allowing tourists yeah. and stuff in. But, you know, if we could work out how to hub and bring a few sides up here, maybe we could just sort of keep this going for another foot. At that stage, thinking, you know, we'll be over this uh, COVID yeah, sure. crap in 12 yeah. weeks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one hub turned into two hubs, turned into three hubs. 
by the time we finished that year, we had 15 of the AFL sides living in Queensland. You know, the AFL spent 70 million that year in Queensland. Mm. And then ultimately, of course, because I can't help but love a challenge, I said, why don't we do the grand final here? Oh, no, we can't do the grand final. I said, why not? So we pushed like hell. I drove the Queensland government nuts. I drove um, Damien Walker, who was a key public servant in charge of it, nuts. Um, I drove everybody nuts, probably. But the <laughs> bo- bottom line is we, we, we got the grand final at Brisbane, first time ever to left Melbourne. And it was, you know, just a fantastic stake in the moment opportunity for Queensland. And we, we, we got a... Somebody opened the door a quarter of an inch and we belted ourselves through it and um, just terrific. Um, to, to, what, what, from complete adversity, we turned that whole thing around. And, you know, the AFL ended up losing, I'm still a lot of money, don't get me wrong, they ended up losing 90 million, I think, that year. But shit, 90 is a whole lot better than 600. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, look, we're, we're running out of time. We've got to get to the news. But just, just quickly, finals this year. Oh look, I think um, bar it, you know, the one proviso because it's the <laughs> it's a consistent proviso in sport of every description is barring uh, you know having a good run with injuries this year. I, I'm very confident the Suns will uh, crack uh, finals for the first time this year. We've got a very very good side, um, very very good uh, professional football department, and um, I think we're going to be along with the Lions. I might add. We're, both Queensland clubs, I think, are going to be very competitive football teams this year. Yeah, that's great. I want to know one question as well. You talk about you might like to just go as a fan and watch this game you really love. What would you be like sitting next to in a stand? <laughs> uh, I'd sit a th- two or three seats further away. He would be my best advice. <laughs> I'm a very passionate supporter and, you know, I... Um, I can only hope that the standard of umpiring is fantastic this year and I get the opportunity to go and uh, uh, cheer on our great games. Good stuff. Hey, mate, you you just mentioned the word passion. No one will ever question that. No one will ever question your vision. You've been wonderful for sport uh, right around this country and uh, I'm not... I'm not writing your uh, your obit. Uh, I know you've got lots more more to do, but uh, congratulations on what you've achieved with the Suns. Well played, Tony. Uh, Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. You both take care. Will do. Tony Cochran, uh, outgoing Gold Coast Suns chairman with lots to look forward to down there on the Gold Coast. And Hills Sports Day will be back for 2023 with Sats and the Rat, Scotty Sattler and Matt Rogers tackling the biggest stories in the sport on this year. Is that a good nickname? Well, Sats would be happy with it. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah sorry about that, Matty. But, uh, g'day, Sats. Good morning. Uh, you, you, would hey, have done, you would have done very or no preparation here on a maths night. You've been watching maths, and what are you thinking of it, mate? Well, you know I've been watching maths because I've been texting you, and you <laughs> disgustingly telling me that the uh, TV control has been controlled by Helen, the wife, <laughs> nah, the survivor. Yeah, yes, that's right, but that only yeah. goes till Tuesday. So I've been, I've been sneaking. As I said to you, couple in. You played over hundred tests for Australia. You need to pull rank here. <laughs> yeah, no, it counts for nothing at home. It gets nasty, mate. It gets nasty. It counts for nothing at home. And anyway, he was out swanning around at the Powers launch last night. No, but night. I was back in time for maths. Oh, well, that's how early I, oh. I, I got back there. So how yeah. could that send Powers back? Hey, yeah, yeah no, it's great. Yeah, get a couple of them into us. And now, good, good people are Powers. Give us the Scott Sattler take. On the CBA, on the NRL, on the RLPA, where do you think it's at? Oh, well, it's a mess. We know that. The NRL has sat on their hands a little bit too long. Um, I feel as though that they didn't take the RLPA as seriously as what they probably should, and Clint Newton has 
has done a, a very good job at embracing and galvanising the playing group. But in saying that, and got, I've got to say, I've, I've never been a... I was never a, a real RLPA man when I played. I just want to, I just want to train and play rugby league and, and be fortunate for the, for the opportunities the game gave me. So I was never involved in any of those discussions around boycotting games. And I remember in 2003, guys, and we were, we were leading the competition and eventually going to win the comp, that the RLPA wanted to run out 15 minutes late in the first final against the Broncos. And, and everyone was really courageous. A lot of the playing group were really courageous about, yet yeah, we need to stand as one. But as soon as it was mentioned that we're not going to run out 15, until 15 minutes late, all the hands went down straight away and they weren't so courageous. So um, I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to see whether that's going to, you know, be the mindset amongst the playing group now also. What I'd like to happen is I'd, I'd like to think that a lot of these a lot of these conditions around the RLPA and, and the NRL and these conditions for the RL, the NRLW and um, because it's got nothing to do with the salary cap. You know, yeah. Everyone was always going to be agreeing on the, the increase in the salary cap. I'd like to think that the NRL can say to the RLPA, OK, we're going to come back with you in relation to the NRLW, which doesn't start until later on in the season and admittedly they've got to play this week against the All-Stars you'd like to think if any injuries come of that the NRL will underwrite that mm. but we're going to have a decision for you by this particular date okay trust us trust the process trust that we're going to do good for the for the game and the players and if that date doesn't come well well they could have got them themselves to blame that's it but I'll, I've still got great faith in Volandis and, and that day that they'll do good by the NRLW mm-hmm Hey, we've got uh, a, a text here from Mike. As a believer in the union movement, I can understand the RLPA threatening strike action. However, I hope the players remember what happened to the airline pilots and the waterside workers. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great text uh, from the listener. You know, it's, um, what we've got to remember is you know, if, if they want to try and boycott through the trials, uh, which are all tele- most of them are televised, by the way, you've got to remember that they're going to patch up the NRL logo. Well, that doesn't matter because we know who's playing and what competition's playing. So that's not really going to send much of a message. And But if you start running out late for televised games and, and, and upsetting the, the broadcast, and you two both know better than most how important the broadcasting schedule is, we've well, got to remember those broadcasters pay your salary. So they've got to tread lightly here, the playing group, and I think they will. Yeah, and I don't mind a, a little message at this stage. Just to, it, it, whatever you do, you've got to be very organised. I.e., if the you know running out uh, fifteen minutes late needs to be forewarned and planned about two months beforehand. You can't just say to the players, "Right tonight, we're not going out," you know, on time. That's no good. So it, it, there's got to be a respectful preparation for the the fans and all that sort of stuff. So that, that to me, they. They're not treating the issues uh, as crucial enough. The NRL, they should want to get this dealt with because they're very, very important issues um, of insurance and post-career type stuff. Why are they not doing it? Well, the post-career, um, the post-career and the hardship funds for players who are retired and, and post-players with injuries, I don't think that needs to be decided on now. That can be something that continually be a work in progress. And yep. I think I think most would agree with that. Um, the salary cap's not a problem because both the men's and the women's have received yeah. significant increases and in boosts. So, um, I, I, you know, the biggest part is the NRLW. If they want to grow the NRLW like the NRL are saying they want to, they want to be able to sign contracts now, get a draw in place, and when they start yeah. training, knowing that they get injured and they're going to miss work, well, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, they're going to be looked after by the NRL now. 
that's the priority right now. But you know, the, the NRLW doesn't start for a while. Their, their training doesn't start immediately, and I feel as though that can still be a work in progress. Knowing that the NRL will underwrite anything that happens in the meantime, I think that's got to be. Yeah, the, the major discussions have got to occur at the moment. Now, boycotting media, they're saying we're going to boycott NRL media days. Well, the Roosters have been doing that for 30 years, so yeah. it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> yes, we sort of get used to that from them. Um, all right, let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit of footy. What excites you about the, se- uh, the season? Are you looking forward to the Dolphins, and, and what do you expect from them? Um, I'm not expecting too much, to be quite honest, and I, I think that's okay. Yes. I think that's okay. You, you shouldn't want to win the comp in the first season. I mean, Melbourne won in their second season, 99, and yeah, that was because all the players from the Hunter Mariners had a, who had a great playing group just transferred to the Melbourne Storm. Um, I don't anticipate that they'll play finals, and I think that's okay also, but I just think you know, initially it's about garnishing really good support off the field, uh, getting as many people to the games, uh, sending a really good message in the community, and, and really good, getting really good commercial support and corporate support. I think that's their main their main focus. Then when they go and negotiate with players for year two, year three, that they represent a, a really solid brand. I think that's what they've really got to focus on. And, and they, they won't expect to be winning comps in the first year. And um, but I'm really excited to see what the Broncos can do with Reese Walsh coming back. Mm. I think that's really exciting. I'm really excited about this number nine, Blake Moser. We all keep talking about you know, Corey Pakes and Billy Walters. Blake Moser's the kid. Yeah. He's the number nine that I think the Broncos will... You know, he could become another Cameron Smith, this kid. He's a, he's a pretty special talent. This year, um, Sats? This season? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think maybe he may not... You know, he's got a little bit of an injury at the moment and he won't start the season. But I think, you know, I think by the middle of the season to the end of the season, Blake Mose will be the number nine for the Broncos. He's a pretty exciting young kid. Mm. And um, playing against men in, in 2022, which is good for his development. Gold Coast Titans... I'm really excited about what Sam Barrels, the Roosters' premiership winning hooker, brings to that side. It's the one position they really lacked is a is a really solid number nine that asks questions. So I'm expecting the Titans, with David Fafita coming off contract, players play their best rugby league when they're coming off contract. So, And another year older, and I'm expecting David Fafita to have a big season and Sam Barrels to make a huge difference to... Uh, to that side. And then when you've got someone like Jaden Campbell coming off the bench in jersey number 14, it means your team and your playing group is really strong. So, And with the Cowboys, I think Cowboys have finished top two. I, I think um, you know, a lot of people are anticipating they may drop out of the eight. I can't see that happening at mm. all. I just think with the success they had last year, and the, even though they went out in straight sets in the finals, they still... Um, sorry, they, they beat Cronulla, but went out of the finals uh, earlier than anticipated. I think the experience that they had in the finals will... We'll just take those players to another level. Yeah, I was waiting for you not to mention the Cowboys, actually, because they're under the radar big time. That, so yeah. that, that's really good. The other one that's a bit under the radar for mine is Canberra. Yeah, they always are, aren't they? You know, I, I think you know, Ricky gets the best out of his players, and as soon as Jamal Fogarty went down there last year, they look like a completely different side. So uh, they lost Adam Elliott to Newcastle. Uh, but in saying that, they've got a real solid playing group and you know, finished eighth after the regular season last year and everyone was fighting at that eighth position. But Canberra always one of those sides, aren't they, heels? You just, you just don't know what you're going to get from them. You know, they, you know they're hard to play at home. And if they can jag a few wins away from home, well, they're always going to be in and around that top six. So, yeah, the big question is that top seven, South finished seventh, Penrith finished first. Everyone's sort of saying those top seven teams will... Will probably be in the top seven again, and everyone's fighting out that eighth position. But 
statistics will tell you one injury to one of those top seven teams means that one of those teams will bundle out of the eight. It's just a matter of who mm. will it be. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk forever about it. I mean, it's dominated the headlines so far. We're really looking forward it's to the lot, season. Yeah. Parramatta, how are they going to go again? You know, And you've got Sports Day coming up with Matty Rogers? Yeah, exciting. The Rats been great. We've had him on a number of occasions. He's, you know, we were looking for someone to replace Badge, and he's hard to replace Badge because he's such a great guy, a great storyteller. He's got great little anecdotes, but he's, he's 85 now, Badge, so he wants to be able to have those afternoon naps. And uh, a bit like you, a bit like you, Paddy. You know, oh, yeah, I'd love that afternoon nap. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but Matty Rogers, he's one of the great storytellers. He comes from, um, you know, a great sporting pedigree as well. He crosses a number of, you know, Rugby Union played nearly 50 tests for the Wallabies. He said, I played 50 tests for the Wallabies and I didn't even know the rules. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, he comes from great pedigree. His dad was one of the great centres, wasn't he? The Prince of Centre, oh, yeah. Steve Rogers. And he tells some great stories about his tours that he's been on uh, with the Wallabies and the Kangaroos over the years. He's a, he's a terrific guy. Oh, you've yeah. got to lobby for a new nickname, mate. Yeah. Can't have the rat. He's rat, had the rat for like the rat. He, he loves the rat. Does he? Oh. He loves it. Yeah, Scotty. Right. He's a rat. He's a rat. <laughs> <laughs> he's a player, so. Well, his old man was a Rolls Royce. Jeez, he could play. Hey, it's getting up yeah. to eight thirty-three. We've got to get to the news. Great to chat, mate. We'll talk to you throughout the year. Thanks, Hats. You can catch Super Bowl Fifty Seven live Monday morning, February thirteen, on ESPN from nine thirty. Or if you can't be in front of the TV, you can hear SEN's exclusive radio call of the Super Bowl, featuring Ben Graham and Jared Waitley from nine o'clock. Monday morning. Let's talk Super Bowl 57. ESPN reporter Brooke Pryor, live from Phoenix, Arizona, is joining us. Brooke, thank you for your time this morning. Uh, what's the vibe like over there? Well, people are definitely excited. I mean, it's kind of crazy that it ends up being these two teams with the number of storylines between them. Um, you know, a, a big chunk of Kansas City's core, you know, Andy Reid, the GM, um, number of assistants all came from Philadelphia where Andy Reid was coaching before he was in Kansas City. And then Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, was also an Andy Reid assistant. And so it, it's just, I feel like, kind of a big reunion between these two sides. I mean, obviously you have the Kelsey brothers, Donna Kelsey. Her mom was the first one to ask Roger Goodell a question today at the press conference. So um, it, it's really exciting. Oh, what, what was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, what, I've often wondered just how much food Mrs. Kelsey must have bought for the kids over the, over the time of their growing up. But what did she ask the, the uh, Roger Goodell? <laughs> I, I'm sure she bought a lot. She asked uh, Roger Goodell uh, the advice that he would have to um, moms who are, you know, raising Super Bowl sons or who are raising sons that want to play the game. Um, but, you know, I think that she's probably the one who's best equipped to answer yeah. that question because she's raised, you know, now two sons who are going to be playing in that game here in just a couple of days. Um, she I, I actually spent a large part of last week talking with people who know the Kelseys, uh, their barber from growing up, <laughs> one of their college coaches. And they all credited Donna Kelsey and Ed Kelsey, the boy's dad, with just doing a phenomenal job of raising the two of them. Hey, Brooke, naturally, where we're from, the big news with us is Jordan Mylata and uh, Aaron Sipos, and particularly Mylata, I suppose, because his backstory is just unbelievable. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? He is such a huge part of the Eagles' offensive line. I think that that's going to be one of the things that is defining uh, for the Eagles in this game that's really, I think, going to dictate how this goes is this offensive line has played so well all season, um, Mylotta being a huge part of that. Um, and I think that the protection that they've given Jalen Hurts is big, and it's going to be crucial in this game considering the Chiefs have, I believe, 55 sacks this year, second to the Eagles. That is going to be a really tough order uh, to keep Jalen Hurts protected, but they've done a really great job so far this year. And, you know, that offensive line has done the job for Philadelphia. Kansas City, what have they offered all year? These are two the favorites and top seeds of their divisions about to square off. Yeah, this is, you know, this is the game I think that if you're a football fan, you hope that you're going to see is the best of the best. And these teams are so evenly matched. I believe they scored the same number of points in the regular season. They are almost, you know, exact images of each other where they rank um, in the AFC and in the NFC. And for the Chiefs, I mean, it all goes through Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't matter if he's playing on one foot, one leg, sprained ankle, whatever. He's still getting the job done. Um, And so for the Chiefs, I mean, the key is going to be his health and his mobility. Um, You saw in the AFC Championship game, he put together a game-winning drive on that ankle that was clearly, I mean, he didn't have the full range of motion. A high ankle sprain isn't something that most players can recover from in just a week, but Patrick Mahomes is not most players. He's probably in the top 0.00001% of players that are able to do that. So, I mean, the key for the Chiefs is going to be continuing to protect him and limit the pressure and the contact that he takes, um, especially when you look at the Eagles' defensive line. I mean, they lead the league in sacks. Um, They have gotten all over opposing quarterbacks. And so the Chiefs have got to protect Patrick Mahomes. And Mahomes has just, you know, got to play healthy, got to gut it out for one more game. But I've I've covered Patrick Mahomes for a long time, and if anyone can do it, it's him. Hey, Brooke, just give us an, an overview of what it's like. We spoke to uh, an Aussie journo who was who's been over there with covering another event, and he was there for the media day. He was telling us like there are six thousand accredited media. <laughs> yes, quite literally. Always hear people say, oh, this is the Super Bowl in my industry, or, oh, this, you know, this whatever event is like our Super Bowl. Well, this is quite literally journalism's Super Bowl in addition to football's Super Bowl because there are so many people everywhere. I mean, this is as much entertainment as it is sports and, you know, serious journalism that's being done because so much of it, I mean, this is what, you know, it's on a bucket list for, for just about every sports journalist. I enjoy it every year, but you also have to go and, you know, knowing I may not get my question asked. I may have to fight through, you know, 10 rows deep of people who are dressed up in crazy costumes to work my way forward to ask a serious football question. But you just kind of have to, you know, come in with a hardcore plan and also understand like, guys, we can have a little fun here. This is, this is the Super Bowl. Yes, it's about winning, but it's also, you know, a, a really cool opportunity for one of these teams and a chance to, you know, be around 
the NFL's best, so I look forward to it every year. I'm very interested in your pathway, Brooke. That you've done some hard yards to get yourself to the ESPN NFL Nation, haven't you? you I think you're currently with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but gee, talk us through your pathway as a journalist. Yeah, I, uh, I do. I, I currently am mostly covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, this is my fourth season doing it, but this is one of those years where I've taken on more of a national role. I do um, get up our, our one of our morning shows here in the States. Um, but before that, I actually covered the Kansas City Chiefs for the Kansas City Star and Patrick Mahomes' first season as a full-time starter. The first year that he won the MVP, I would expect uh, him to add another one here in a couple days. Um, and before that, I covered OU football, and I saw Baker Mayfield play in college. So I've been around some really good quarterbacks. I now am watching Kenny Pickett every day. I don't know that he is on the same level as Patrick Mahomes because so few people are, but it's exciting of another one of the league's young quarterbacks that the Steelers obviously hope develops into the next Ben Roethlisberger and bring some Super Bowls back to Pittsburgh. Good stuff. Hey, really appreciate your time today. It's obviously uh, your Super Bowl week and uh, you're as busy as, uh, as you've ever been. <laughs> but uh, thank you for giving us your time for, uh, for Australian radio this morning. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Brooke. Brooke Pryor there, uh, ESPN reporter, uh, live from Phoenix, Arizona. Now, she, she said, yes, when there are 6,000 accredited journos, there are a couple of strange questions come along. I understand the Kansas City head coach, the legendary Andy Reid, was asked about his coffee yesterday at one of the media days. How do you take your coffee? You know, I don't drink coffee, but... Um, what do you drink in the morning, then, to start your day? I just get up and go. I got... Endless energy for a chubby guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's had a lot of he's yeah. As I said, I found out the last six times these two teams have played, yeah. he's coached three times for one of them, three times for the other. Mm. He's won them all. No, I mean, some of them can be a little surly, but uh, he not him. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> he's always got a fun answer. We've got to hey, we've got to talk some racing. Sam Collett, who we all know, is uh, the superstar here on SEN. Queensland, of course, is your place to race this year. Queensland is racing. The action continues uh, today at Ippy and across the Sunshine State for the rest of the week. Visit racingqueensland.com.au. Sam Collett, a very good morning to you. Good morning, guys. I was wondering what you were talking about to start with, but you're obviously watching the surfing or something. We are watching the surfing, yes. Thanks for explaining for the listeners. (laughs) It's a quarterfinal at Bonsai Pipeline, and the Aussie is about to cause a big, big upset. There's eight seconds to go. Uh, It's only been going for about 20 days. I'm going to move away from Queensland (laughs) Racing for a second because I love my WA racing, as Heels knows. Here's a little fun fact for you. Willie Pike, the wizard has ridden the last race winner at his last six meetings. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> that, it's, it's, He's a legend. He didn't even know. He, he was interviewed last night when he, he made it six, and they said, do you know how many times you've ridden the last race winner in your recent meetings? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I rode one Monday, Saturday. He said, oh, two or three? <laughs> and they said, no, your last six meetings, you've ridden the, the winner of the get-out stakes. That's awesome. He's mm. such a legend. He is, isn't he? Hey, now listen, we had a wonderful chat this week with Robbie Fradd, who, as you know, has had to retire with the, the heart problems and he's come through it on the other side. He was just 
riveting to listen to. And, of course, he's not going to be lost to the industry, Sam, is he? He's going to come in and, and Tony Gollan wants him in there as a, in a mentoring role? Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic um, role for Robbie to be taking up. I've obviously known him, only known him the short time that I've walked. Well, short enough time that I've been here and he's just the loveliest person you've ever met and when I heard the news about him having his um, you know having to have his heart surgery while I was away on holiday I was relieved I guess you could say that you know something disastrous didn't happen on track and you know you, things like that you just can't be sure but he's obviously fitting well and bounced back through I saw him a couple of weekends ago at um, Jaden Lord 21st and he seems very sprightly so the fact that He's now going to be mentoring young Angela Jones is certainly very good for the industry. She's knocked off another one yesterday. She's, she's into mm. the 40 winners already this year, isn't she? She uh, Flying. Yeah, she seems to be going well. Hey, Sam, so what are the pitfalls for young jockeys? I know probably the female jocks don't have it as tough with their weight. But certainly there are pitfalls for young jockeys, aren't they, when they're surrounded by you know, the potential of a lot of money and pressure, etc. Oh, for sure. Um, I think potentially the hardest part of um, our job is the mental side of it and having to deal with people and disappointing people, so to speak. You know, because everyone wants to go there. They want to win. And um, some people are a little bit more understanding than others, depending on how long they've been in the industry, owners, trainers, punters, etc., so it's not so much, I mean, obviously having to learn how to ride, um, the pressure of big race days, um, dealing with other jockeys in a race, having to talk to owners and trainers post-race, um, you know, talking them through what happened. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And a lot of, I think, young people sort of fall through the cracks because they can't deal with, well, they haven't got the right tools to deal with the pressure and you know, sort of leaving it at the track as opposed to taking that kind of stuff home. It took me a long time to sort of adapt to, um, you know, something that worked for me so I didn't, you know, make myself miserable all the time by, you know, disappointing people. Essentially. Yeah, well done. Yeah. And, and on that, I mean, social media can be cruel as well. So, I mean, for, oh, for the so young cruel. ones, yeah. Hey, what have you got coming up? Well, uh, what have we got? We've got six... Five or six rides at Ipswich today. Um, there's actually a horse I'm riding, an uh, ex-pat Kiwi horse called Ringy Toa. would be an interesting ride of mine today. He lugs around 61 kilos, but I think it's a nice little race for him. Um, I think it's his first run up here. I believe he's been down south somewhere mm-hmm. since uh, coming across the Tasman. And I've got there were eight rides on Saturday with Friday off. Um, eight rides Saturday. And I'm not too sure what I've got Sunday yet. But So busy enough. Busy cool. enough. But it's been... Um, the last couple of weeks has been pretty hectic, which is good. All right. Well, in the paper, Rangatoa is about five to one. It's uh, the top weight in race six and four fifty this afternoon. We'll be keeping an eye on you, and uh, thank you for your time as <laughs> usual. Thanks, Sam. No, no worries, guys. Thanks. Good stuff, Sam Collett. There. So the powers launched for you last night. Hills. Who's who was there? Who else was there apart from Mel? Uh, the King. Wally, Wally there. Yeah, yeah. Wally. I, I, we, and um, there's so many stories around those very. Uh, favourite times of all of us, meeting Bernie Power and knowing how he did it, P- him persuading all the hoteliers to change and take on, you know, it's, it wasn't a craft beer he was making, a little craft brewery. He took on Forex and Carlton mm. and, and got it done. Um, so we really enjoyed his company and as did he ours. Uh, but th- Alfie told a story of he tried a few different jobs, he, but he never got past the Yatla pie shop. 
He didn't get to work many days, so they moved him moved him into customer complaints, him and uh, Gino. And if anyone had a problem with a Powers product, they'd send those two boys around to home with a six-pack or a carton of tallies, and if there was any dogs around, Gino would just drop it in the front yard and he'd not go in. So, all those things. I told a story that, you know, I sort of said, oh, it was some good and some bad uh, when Bernie supported cricket because there's only been one – non uh, forex sponsor in Queensland Creeds history and it was Powers um, 90, 89 to 92 okay and and uh, then I started working for them all the time and then they got bought out by CUB and we stayed on Wally and I stayed on working for CUB That's uh, right, yeah. either on the Powers label or other brands as well um, but it was bad for cricket because Barry Richards, our um, CEO, the Queensland Cricket CEO, thought, I want to try to get this sponsorship money to the players who are playing well, you know, yeah. incentivize their performance. And we're all on run uh, dollars per run. Okay. And so you, you got $5 a run, $20 a boundary, and then if you hit a fi- the 500 mark or something like that, you got up to $50 a, a run. So... And the two hundred dollars a wicket, and a hundred dollars a dismissal, I reckon, by a wicketkeeper. So, and a catch by a fielder. Mm. And oh, mate, if you dropped a catch off Craig McDermott, look out! He's going, <laughs> oh, what's going on? Come on, that's cost me two hundred. You owe me. You know, he, he, there were fights going everywhere. And you know, in a four-day match at the, you know, at three o'clock on the last day, sometimes you can call it off. No yeah. chance of a result. Victoria would come to us and say, right, how, shake hands. No way. We were the worst second innings. We'd play right to the end because they're all getting money. And Matty Hayden hits three sixes. Everyone's in the dressing room going, ching, ching. And we were playing for the wrong reasons there for one year. <laughs> and Bernie was laughing. He shook up the landscape, didn't he, Bernie? And, and Reeves told the story of, you know, the the Powers banner that went around La- Suncorp Stadium or Lang, Court, Lang Park then yeah. for the first Broncos match. And they didn't go off the ground at halftime. They stood in. The, it was a corral. And that's how they came up with a marketing idea. We need to corral these Broncos. Uh. And just happened to have powers all around the back when they weren't involved at all. And they were <laughs> sending beer trucks to Lang Park and getting turned back. No, oh, no, I remember the time. It was yeah. chaos. Absolute yeah. chaos. But Bernie Power did it all. He's unbelievable. It's one of the great stories. Uh, and anyway, still, still sprightly. See him yep. around the town. He's you see him at a lot of functions, Bernie. He's a yep. great man. And I talked to one of the the who's who are publicans were in the room, of course, and it changed how they how the breweries dealt with publicans. Even you know they had to buy all their coasters and beer mats and all that until Bernie and Powers came in and said, "Have these." They they gave them all that sort of merchandise. No. They never had to buy it again. Mm. So you know they they're hard to persuade those publicans when the, when they're working on good margins and good pro, good product and then you're trying to bring in another one, that that's hard to persuade and he did it. Well while well. you were rubbing shoulders with the greats, you were racking up uh, the miles on social media with your summation of the uh, Indian batting lineup. You had plenty of people involved. I think we're up to sixty thousand, aren't we, Matt? Yeah. Yes, we are now up to sixty thousand views on that uh, social media post. Mm. Well let's uh, let's have Imagine a look at if the... I did a good one. <laughs> let's... <laughs> Let's have a listen to Pat Cummins talking about it, just embracing the challenge that, that is in front of this Australian side. You know, I think there's these series always throw up different challenges, you know, on the field or off the field, and just embracing it's you know what makes these tours so special. Yep, got to stay happy and embrace it. Mm-hmm. And the left-handers, because he's got a few on his side. With so much traffic from the right-handers bowling. Um, 
yeah, I think at times it, there's a bit more out there for the left-hander. So, um, yeah, you see, obviously the Indian lineup's probably going to be packed full of right-handers. So I think it, yeah, plays a, a small factor. You call that very considered. <laughs> He's not giving much away. His responses. That's oh, a small factor. <laughs> All that traffic from right-handers running through the left-handers get a little more rough in front of them. It, it's a hard game for a left-hander. In, you know the the rubble they have in front of them, where the ball's bouncing every delivery uh, in in late in every test match they play. It's a very very difficult game. Um, is there a temptation to release the young quick? I mean, it looks like. You know, very rarely do we get to this stage, and they know the team because they've already invited uh, the spinners. Um, yeah, they've the, said the they, Todd they know the team, over. don't they? Yeah, but do you think there's a chance we'll see Lance Morris? Uh Yes, yeah, especially if he can bowl around the wicket well. Yeah, if he can bowl around the wicket and create footmarks and and do it. But, again, you've got to be patient. There's five, t- four tests coming up in short periods of time. I, I think we'll see him at some stage. But, uh, you know, it'd be harsh on Scotty Boland not to get picked. Oh, but what, what about his average? It's going to go up, maybe. He's got to get wickets. He's averaging 12. <laughs> it's going to go to maybe 20. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, he'll have his head down looking for poles. It is 8.10 here on Breakfast with Patton Heels. Now on Breakfast with Patton Heels, Heels gets his gloves off. Right, oh, well, you know, cricket is unique because no one today knows what they're going to be doing. Is there any other sport that that's like it? You know, so everyone turns up to the ground day one, not sure whether they're going to do their job or not. Um, So that's the uniqueness of cricket or one of them. I thought today I'd take you into the pyjamas of Alex Carey as he nears the start of such a big day. Uh, They have a formidable batting opposition to deal with. They've got a ravenous home team support and a new-look bowling attack that uh, this unknown pitch uh, is another thing that everyone is talking about. It makes for a lot of consideration which can cost you sleep. Now, the main thing you know is that you can wreck it all for both teams as a wicketkeeper um, by performing really well at a crucial time or not performing very well at a crucial time. And that sort of pressure has you tossing and turning a lot earlier than you'd normally want to. Um, It's about five in the morning, your mind starts rushing. You know, this could be a low-scoring game. Um, If I miss something, it could be really costly. Um, if, If I miss Coley... He's only, he's only got to have another half an hour after that and they could beat us. Um, will it spin normally or will it rage? These are things that you mull over in your head. How will Swepo and Todd go if they're given the chance? And, and what have I got to look after? Where can I help them? Uh, keep an eye on their speeds, their flights, their lines to good players and, and sticking to the plans. You know, keep them, keep them on track. Jeez, I hope I don't miss Virat. Uh, is the field set right for Scotty Boland? So a keeper's job is to keep an eye on their bowlers, the the, the job, the plans of last night that we set, and, and making sure that's channeled to the captain when it's necessary. And it's only 6am. I'm already concentrating too much and on the wrong stuff. So what I used to do and what I would um, advise Alex Carey is to get up and do something, maybe go for a walk. Maybe rebound your golf ball and think straight on my job so he can get his job down pat and get ready for everything you're going to have to do today without thinking and, and over-stressing about it. You know, very, very simple stuff. Stay low, watch the ball, move. 
you know, set up very every session. There needs to be a 20-minute selfish session in every two-hour session where the keeper gets his game in, in on track. You know, there's three lots of 30 overs for the day. That's 540 balls. And, and some days, those, those days fly by. You know, so they fly by when you set them up each session and you get your technique right. Then you've got time to think about others. Um, when you keep it really simple, react well, you can help others then when, when you're ready. And that's the challenge because everyone out there is needing help. You'll only know at the end of the day too whether you did it right and, and things were good and there's a second night's sleep to get through now uh, because tomorrow we've either got batting nerves to worry about or... Uh, we've still got six wickets to get, you know, and and Coley might be on 120 not out. So the pressure doesn't stop over those five nights sleep. It's good fun. Not always. Or the text line 0467 736 736. And don't forget, SEN's coverage of the first test against India from Nagpur starts at 1.30 this afternoon. Cannot wait. We kick off at around about two. So we'll get Jared Waitley on the team just revving us up for a half hour. We'll get the toss, yeah. which will be critical. And we get the teams that they're sort of keeping closely guarded. And uh, it's caused so much debate from your social media posts about who will bat. Yeah, um, they're saying to drop the vice captain. We need Shubman Gill in our team, opening the batting. Uh, KL Rahul, not as good batting down the order. Some are saying get Rohit Sharma uh, down the order. Some are saying get KL out. Mm. Uh, who's going to keep? And is that Surya Kumar Yadav, gonna, who's an incredible hitter, will he be handy for them to come out and just turn on, turn a match on half an hour? Mm. You know, that's the sort of tactics that will need to be thought about in in these conditions if they're going to be like a lot of people suspect. Yeah. There's so much more gravitas now to this Australia-India series, isn't there? I, I just think in the, in the last decade or so, perhaps, you know, not as much in your time. I'd say more than a decade, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, because 20, 2001 was when Australia really went over there with a with an, an assault. They tried to make an assault. They didn't get it. They got it in 2004. Uh, now, in the 90s, we went to Pakistan three times uh, for full tours and India once. Mm. That was it. So it wasn't the powerhouse it is now, just in the 90s. So they do things chaotically and they do things quickly in India. So you'd lose sleep more over an Ashes series in those days? Uh, West Indies, the most <laughs> yes, I forgot about uh, the West sleep Indies. loser. <laughs> uh, am I am I going to get hurt tomorrow? Uh, and England, we we rolled through after the first one in England. We we went six series. Well, in my career, six series undefeated, right. and I think it went further than that. Okay. Uh, now I know you love your surfing. <laughs> well, it, is it surfing or just sitting around? Well, they're sitting around at the moment. Yeah, it's been disappointing. <laughs> um, but we've got two Aussies alive. So Jack Robinson in the semis of the men's and Tyler Wright through to the final of the women's and it'll all be surfed in the next couple of hours. 